who absolutely was not a chameleon. You see this picture here from that German shipyard where the um, ship is being dedicated and everybody there raises their right hand to say, how Hitler, except August Ladsmere, who was courageous enough in that place to say, I'm not going to cave. You see, he paid a great price for that. We would almost like to say to this man, time out, man. Why don't you, all it's taking is a few seconds. It can't be that big a deal, you know. Reminds me of the, the child in the uh, Sunday school class and the teacher's trying to get the child to sit down. The child finally sits down and then the child says to the teacher, uh, my body may be sitting down, but inside I am standing up. You ever thought that way? Well, maybe August could have just said that. But instead, he's not going to cave. He's not going to blend in. We talked last week about that urge to fit in. I imagine in that site where there's thousands and thousands of people, that there are a lot of people who felt the way he did about Hitler and about Nazism. But they went ahead and saluted. In the Nuremberg trials, we put the Nazis on trials for their atrocities. Here basically was their excuse. We're not bad people. We're just ordinary people who are just being obedient to our authorities. It's so easy to simply blend in. And maybe, as you see this picture again of a chameleon, I'm being a little bit too hard on these chameleons. Because if you look at it, the reason they blend in is simply to protect themselves. And it's quite effective. They won't be noticed. And the reason many of us are chameleons is because often we just don't want to be noticed. We actually want to protect ourselves from ridicule or even persecution. You know, I was looking up this week, what is the anonym for the word chameleon? What is the opposite? Well, here's some of the words used. You're a misfit. You're an oddball. Who wants to be an oddball? Never you ever been? Trey wants to be an oddball. Good, okay? Well, have you ever been to something where you just completely dressed inappropriately? I mean, you showed up and you should have been in something else. I was thinking this morning, back when Paul Evans and Al Milligan were our staff, one day we found out about a funeral we needed to go to, and I'd not dressed appropriately, but it was in Prattful, and I thought, I'm not going to see anybody I know. And, you know, most of them in Prattful will be wearing camouflage anyway. And so um, I went ahead and went to the funeral. I walk in there, and guess what? Every Church of Christ person in Montgomery was in pride for this funeral, looking at me like, I dare you dress that way. And nobody was in camouflage. You see, guys, it's so easy to want to blend in. We don't want to stand out. Too often we stand out, we feel like this fish, the one fish swimming in the wrong direction. And that's our temptation. Let's be really honest this morning. We live in a world that's been labeled as a post-Christian world. And we see evidence of it all around. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, if ever we are tempted in America to just blend in and not stand out in this culture, it's tempting. And so this morning, I want to look at some characters in the Old Testament who are unwilling to simply blend in. And they are living in a foreign culture. They're standing up in a foreign culture. 
That's really hard. Here's their names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Now, wouldn't you be glad in that group if your name was Daniel, right? I don't know any Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know quite a few Daniels in here right now. And these guys are so very bold. Now, let me tell you about them. These are Jewish people living in a foreign country in Babylon. And these guys have probably never been in Jerusalem. They've been there their whole life. And the Babylonian king has done everything he can to assimilate them into the culture. They've been re-educated. They've been wined and dined. They actually even had their names changed, these names, so they didn't have their Jewish names. And that makes it even more amazing that they're willing to stand up and be counted. Let me tell you a couple stories. Daniel chapter 3. We see in Daniel chapter 3 that the king has decided that he wants to be worshipped. And so in order to do that, he's built a 90-foot golden image. Most people think the image is of King Artaxerxes. And they have this plan where the whole country comes together, and the moment the band plays, everyone is commanded to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain standing. Again, I want to say time out. Could you not bow for just a moment? Do you really have to stand up in the middle of this and get yourself in trouble? Because here's the threat. If you stand up, you will be thrown into a fiery oven. And so the the king brings them in and says, I dare that you do this. Don't you know the threat? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego basically say, hey, God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not stop worshiping him. And so the king is furious, the Bible says, and he throws these three men into this furnace. He cuts it up seven times hotter than it needed to be. Even the people throwing them in die because it's so hot. And yet, in just a few moments, the king looks back into the furnace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are okay. And in fact, there is a fourth man standing with them in the furnace. Most scholars think this is a pre-incarnation form of Jesus. He's there in the middle of them. And so the king pulls them out, and it's quite a miracle. There's no burn marks on their body. Their clothes are fine. Their hair's not singed. Here's what the Bible says. They don't even smell like fire. Anybody remember years ago driving in a car when people smoked? My grandfather, I remember driving his Chrysler New Yorker down in Crenshaw County. And man, he would smoke and smoke and smoke, and we'd be in the back seat with all of it. And you walked out, and what did you smell like? Smoke, yeah. You guys with me this morning? What did you smell like? Cigarettes, yeah, you smell exactly like it. I, I was teaching this story this summer at VBS. And so in sort of to illustrate it, I decided to bring a cigarette in. And I, you know, lit it and I brought it. And, you know, because I wanted the kids to go, you know, no way you can be away from this and not smell like it unless a miracle. Now, what I didn't know, because I don't smoke, is how many times I had to pick it up and puff to keep it going, right? So I, I, I probably wasn't a real good example. But the point was, God was so powerful, these guys escape not even smelling like the fire. And then we look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, the same thing is going on. 
You see, what's happened is these four guys are, are rising to leadership positions. And the people who are homebodies, who've lived there, who know the culture, are offended that Jewish people could be in charge. In fact, a new king's on the throne now, King Darius, and he puts Daniel in charge of the whole country. And these guys are really fired up about it. In fact, they, they want an excuse to bring Daniel down. And you got you to hear this verse. Daniel chapter 6. Here's what it says in verse 5. These men say, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Isn't that amazing? We can't find anything morally wrong with this guy. We can't find anything ethically wrong with this man. If we're going to find something wrong with him, it's going to have to do with his devotion to God. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? If someone could bring a charge, it's going to have to do with my spirituality. And so they decide to set this thing up. And they come up with this plan where, you know, everybody is supposed to pray only to the king. And anybody who prays to anybody else is now to be executed by being thrown into the lion's den. Now, don't, please don't discount these as children's stories. These are real stories. These are real people. And so the edict goes out that if anybody prays to anybody else, they're going to be murdered. They're going to be executed. You know what Daniel does? He goes home, flings his windows open, and prays in front of everybody. Well, this falls into the enemy's hands. They report him. They take him into the king. And the king says, you shouldn't have done this. Why are you doing this? And I'm thinking, why did you do it? Dude, shut your windows. Pray all you want, but shut your windows. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. And yet he also survives. And he's brought out. So I've been looking at these stories all week. Why do these four men have the power to stand up when everything around them tells them to fit in? Here's the answer. What's the key to their strength? Let's look at a couple verses. I want you to go back to chapter 3 with me. I think this is actually one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. Listen to their response, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're told they're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Boy, is that a statement of faith? Now, I want you to read, though, the yellow. Okay, good. the next one. Read the yellow out loud. But, man, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Here's what the Daniel said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, hey, we believe, first of all, God could deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. Now, guys, I'm not trying to be critical here, but there are Christians that would criticize them for what they said. Don't dare say those words, even if he doesn't, you know? I mean, if you don't say the exact right words, I mean, don't bring any question that God's going to heal you. It's absolutely going to happen. And they'd say, you know, 
Don't use those kind of words. You use those kind of words, you're going to destroy your prayer life. My friends, this is much more faith than trying to manipulate God and say, God, you got to do what I want you to do if I say the right words in the right ways. I've seen so many Christians discouraged and give up their faith because someone said, if you pray with enough faith and if you do it the right way and you say the right words and you name it and claim it, that it's absolutely going to happen. Because here's a statement I read this week I thought was so powerful. Faith is not exceptional confidence in a particular outcome. It is exceptional confidence in a sovereign God. I look across this audience. I see a lot of you. You've suffered some heavy losses in your life, and you prayed like crazy, and it didn't turn out the right way. And don't you let anybody tell you it's your fault. Because our faith is not in a God who does everything we ask. Our faith is a God that we believe above all of it is sovereign. Amen? So what's the key here? What do we learn from these guys? The key is that their mind is set on God. Even the midst of this crazy persecution and the threat of death, they trust God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't care what you do, king. Whether we survive this or not, we're worshiping God. Daniel, I'm telling you, my eyes are on God. I love that song we sang just a few moments ago. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And my friends, to stand up in a foreign culture when it'd be easier to fit in, that is the key. Now, we'll see it also in Daniel, back in chapter 6. When Daniel finds out about the decree not praying, listen to these amazing verses. Now, when Daniel learned that, the decree had been published, okay? That's when you go home and shut your windows. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. If you read back when Solomon dedicates the temple, one thing he mentions over and over is people, wherever they are in the world, are going to pray toward Jerusalem. Daniel's doing that. Not the first time he did it. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God. Yellow word, say it with me. Just as he had done before. Listen, my friends, this is not a new practice for Daniel. In our day, we would call these spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. It's things he did every day. In fact, he did them three times a day. And it's through those spiritual disciplines and spiritual exercises that we get close to God, that we stay close to God, that we recognize God. I was talking to teenagers Wednesday night. was so impressed by one who said to me, back in that habit series, when you taught us to get on your knees before you ever hit your feet in the morning, it, it had a big impact on my life. And guys, it's these kind of spiritual disciplines that you do over and over again that give you that key, that mind that is set on God. Now, here's our challenge. How do we, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a different culture. Anybody feel like you're living in a foreign culture? That America has changed so much that you've woke up in a country you almost don't recognize? So how do we stand up instead of blending in? You guys, we need to understand this, that Christianity is the most persecuted religion on the face of the earth. And, and here's what's bothering so many of us, is it's beginning to happen in our own nation. I can give you illustration after illustration. Our government spent 10 years trying to shut down 
Little Sisters of the Poor, a Catholic charity, because they did not support abortion. Jack Phillips was a baker. Lori Schutzman was a florist. And they both ended up losing their income because of all the lawsuits brought to them because they would not endorse marriages that Scripture did not endorse. And then there's this coach in New England called Joe Kennedy. And after every football game, he would simply go to the edge of the field, get on his knees, quietly pray to God. The man was fired. And it went through every court system in America. And his firing was supported until it got, thank God, to the Supreme Court. Listen to what the Supreme Court said. A government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a brief, quiet, and personal observance, doubly protected by the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment. The Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. Amen to the Supreme Court, right? Because we live in a country where things have changed. What's caused this? Let me give you four quick reasons. First of all is what we call pluralism. You say, what in the world is pluralism? It means there's the plurality of different ways to get to God. Now, pluralism in our postmodern culture is a reaction to the early 20th century Enlightenment, where man had this incredible confidence and knowledge and science that we could solve any problem. The problem was we didn't solve anything in the 20th century. Things got worse. And so the reaction to this faith in knowledge was a swing over here that we actually just don't believe there is knowledge. I mean, Satan has always been good at making good things look bad and making bad things look good, but Satan has now pulled the trick on us to say there actually is no good and bad, and that every religion is the same way to heaven. Now, this is where Christians get in trouble across the world, and while we're in trouble now, there's some red letters in the Bible John 14, verse 6, that get us in a lot of trouble. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Guys, Jesus made exclusive claims. But not only did he make the claims, Jesus did what no other person, not even any other quote-unquote God ever did. He was born of a virgin, the incarnation. He died on the cross atonement in our place, and he resurrected from the dead. And so therefore, we don't go, hey, all roads lead to heaven. We know the road is narrow, and it goes through Jesus Christ, and that's not popular. And that leads us to the next point, relativism. It's the thing we just talked about. There's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as evil, because there's no such thing as absolute truth. You've got your truth, I've got my truth. Who are you to tell me that you're right and I'm wrong? I mentioned the Nuremberg trials earlier. In the beginning of the trials of these Nazis, we were not doing very well. Because all they had to say is, you are trying us by your laws. These aren't our laws. You may believe this, but we don't believe this. And the trial went really bad until the Allied prosecutors decided to appeal to a higher power. 
that there are certain things given by God that are just right and wrong in every culture. And yet now we live in a day where in our culture, biblical norms are not accepted. And I must say, when it comes to sexual ethics, even in the church, I worry about the parents in our audience today that you have small children in your home, that you've got to raise them in a culture. Years ago, you could sort of expect the culture to say, yeah, that's right. Now you can't expect that. And so the pressure is now on you and I in our homes and in our church to make sure our children are learning truth. And then two others, materialism. So many of us get in this pressure that we need more and more things, and we become obsessed with material things. It's like the old bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, that's just not true. Guys, if you're trying to keep up with the Jones, if you're comparing what your house looks like to other people, if you're comparing your car to other people's cars, if you're wanting your clothes to be as nice as everybody else's, and you live in this pressure, and many of you are overspending the money you have because you're trying to meet these pressures, that's not of God. I love the story of this funeral. It's a very, very wealthy woman. She had died. And the preachers preach the funeral, and afterwards he's just sort of mingling with the crowd, and this other woman comes up to him and said, please tell me, how much did she leave? And the preacher said, everything. <laughs> she left everything. And my friends, when we begin to put our faith in material things, we're putting them in the wrong place. And you may not even recognize this next word, but it actually is a word. I looked it up. Busyism. Sure makes the sermon sound better, right? We need ism. Busyism. It, it, what's that saying? Let me tell you a comment I made years ago that's really stuck with me. Forget where I even found this quotation. But it, it, it lends itself to this discussion. If the devil cannot make you bad, he's going to make you busy. Because what happens? we got so much to do in our culture. There are thousands of channels to watch, thousands of streaming services, thousands of social media, all kinds of activities going on around us. And that's okay. Most of it's not even bad. Some of it is. Most of it's not. But the problem is, if Satan can't make you bad, he just gets you so busy with all of those things. And you and I know, if we'd really be honest, what gets crowded out of my life? When I get super busy, one of the first things I'm tempted to cut is that quiet time with God in the morning. And when your schedule starts getting pressed, many of us, the first thing that we'll cut, because it's sort of optional, is going to church and worshiping with other Christians. And so Satan doesn't have to gift you in some kind of sin. He just has to get you in such a hectic, busy schedule that the important things of having that godly mindset begin to go out of your life. So here again, the key is a godly mindset. Let's look at a really important passage for a moment. Romans chapter 12. This lays it all out for us. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now read the yellow with me. But be transformed by the what? Well, you guys aren't very excited. Can we do that again? Renewing of your mind. 
And then he says, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What he's saying is, if, if you will not be conformed, literally the word there means to be pressed into the world's mode, but you'll be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, then you're going to experience the goodness of God. Here, here's what another translation says. I love this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. So let's talk about it. Let me get real practical for a moment. We'll probably have to come back to this next couple weeks. How do you renew your mind? The battleground's up here, guys. The reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel could stand is because they had their mind set on God. When nobody else did, they were firm in God. And the reason that we can stand and not blend in is when we have renewed our mind. How do you renew your mind? Let me get really practical with you just for a moment. Write these things down. First of all, you've got to recognize what you're thinking about. One of the best challenges I've ever heard is think about what you think about. You see, my problem is I assume my thinking's okay because I've always thought this way. But if first of all, you will capture those thoughts, what am I thinking? Is this positive? Is it negative? Is this a thought of God or not of God? What's the best way to figure that out? Compare your thoughts to Scripture. Is this the kind of thoughts that God would let me have? So first of all, just capture it, recognize it. And once you've recognized a thought going through your mind is not of God, resist it. Reject it. And guys, for most of us, we've got to get pretty bold about this. In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of my mind. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to resist this thought. And I am going to insist on thinking the way God wants me to think. Resist it. When you recognize it's not good, resist it. And then here's important, replace it. The world conforms us. The Word of God transforms us. So you begin to replace those thoughts of the world, which, let's just be honest. Guys, we're inundated by this all the time. That's why, guys, you've got to get in the Word. You've got to get in the Word. Because it's the Word that renews you. So you begin to replace it with the Word. And guys, this is so easy today. If you've got a problem in your life, let's say you're struggling with anxiety. Just Google scriptures on anxiety. And you'll have hundreds of them to look at. And then after that, reinforce it. Because this is not a one-time battle where you just sort of battle these thoughts. Because listen to me, if you're like me, you've been thinking this way for a long, long time. I just sort of figured the way I thought was normal, was natural. It's the way everybody thinks. I finally figured out my OCD is not the way everybody thinks. And so the good news of science today is that your brain can actually be rewired. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to replace it, and then you can't just do that once. You've got to keep reinforcing it. That's why in the old days, we'd write a scripture on a three-by-five card and put it on our dash or our mirror. Or today, you put it on your computer screen or on the front of your phone so that you'll be reminded of the way you should think, and you reinforce it. And then here's important. You just keep on repeating it. You go back. You recognize the thought. You resist the thoughts that aren't of God. You replace them with the Word of God. You reinforce it, and then you just keep on repeating. And here's the cool thing. The promise is your brain can be renewed. Science would say your brain can be rewired. 
So this brings us to our question for today. Do you have a mind set on God? And guys, the way we can sort of figure this today is are you like Daniel practicing spiritual disciplines? I mean, just think of the three that were listed in Daniel chapter 6. He prayed, he gave thanks, and he worshiped. Those are things that renew our mind. Because here's what I want you to know. This is the only way you can stand up instead of blending in. And this next statement is so important. Inner strength empowers you to resist outer pressure. Why can we stand up when our whole culture turns against us, even if it gets worse? Because we have this inner strength from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit. We have this inner strength that's so strong that I can resist the outer pressure. You remember what I said at the beginning of the message? Chameleons blend in to protect themselves. Here's what I want you to know. Christians don't have to blend in because God is our protector. Listen to these passages. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now love Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So it's that inner strength. Doing what you're doing right now, we're doing in just about a moment, is just to begin to praise him and worship him. That begins to transform your mind. Spending time as we had the last 30 minutes in Scripture begins to transform your mind. And so this morning, we're about to sing what we call here, if you're a guest with us, a song of invitation. It's a very open point in our church service where if you feel like that you have, you've been falling to the pressure and in too many situations, maybe your work or maybe your school or maybe your neighborhood, you're just blending in. And instead of standing up for God, you're blending in. And today you need us to pray that you would have that inner strength. Or maybe today's the day that you are ready to step out and confess that Jesus is not only the Son of God, He's the Lord of your life. And today, you could be baptized and start your life all over again. Or today, just as we worship these next few moments, you don't have to move. You just need to bow down and worship. Of all the passages we've looked at today, I want to take you back to one more that I think is absolutely one of the most awesome passages in all of Scripture. Look at Daniel 3:25, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unarmed. The fourth looks like a God. He doesn't just look like a God, my friends. He is God. And here's the promise we've got to walk out of here with, my friends is that you don't face this alone. When you're in the lion's den, you're in the fiery furnace, listen, it's not just you. It's Jesus with you. 
And because that he's with you, you can stand up and you can say with faith, either he's just going to deliver me, or even if he doesn't deliver me, I still trust him. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of our message that two of the opposite words of chameleon are a misfit or an oddball. I also saw another one that I really, really liked. Another opposite word of chameleon, an anonym, is trendsetter. Because that's what we as Christians need to be. We've got to be trendsetters. And and what's cool, if you'll go back and read these two stories in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, is at the end of Daniel 3, when they're delivered from the furnace, guess what this heathen pagan king Nebuchadnezzar does? He worships their God. In chapter 6, guess what this heathen pagan king Darius does when Daniel's delivered? He worships God. My friends, we have a world that is so messed up, and we're all blending in because of the pressure. We're really deep down, all of us would love to stand up and to be different. And my friends, if we will be the ones to stand up, to be counted when everybody else is just blending in, not only will it bless us, but I'm telling you, other people will follow because God's way works. So if you need to come, we need to pray for you today. If you're tired of blending in, come right now while we stand and sing.